0: All right, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Hebrews chapter number 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. So thankful for the songs this morning. Worship drawing our attention to Christ, the gospel, celebrating the work that Christ has done. Do you remember this morning that the grave is still empty? He is risen. The title of this morning's message is simply A Shadow of Good Things to Come. A Shadow of Good Things to Come. A shadow. Every child this morning and every adult probably, if you can think back to your childhood, remembers the moment or the time when you became enamored with your shadow. Maybe you can think back at... A time when you were a kid on the playground, running around, and you noticed this this shadow that's following you around, and you paused, and you got just at the right angle where the sun was behind you, and you could move your arms, and you could move your legs, you could jump up and down, and that shadow just, it just followed you. And how cool and neat that was for the first time, discovering that shadow, even In that famous Disney movie where Peter Pan discovers his shadow, there's something intriguing about it. Even though his shadow is a bit more livelier than ours was, uh, there's something unique and fun about a shadow. Can you remember as a kid putting your hands together in different shapes and making that bird and and other designs and and just having fun observing a shadow? We all know what a shadow is, but I'm going to... Define it for you. It'll help draw our attention to some unique points this morning as we look through Hebrews chapter number 10 and kick off a new chapter in this expositional series. But a shadow is defined as a dark area where light from a light source is now blocked by an object, thus creating a shadow. It is the cross section. It is a two-dimensional silhouette or a reverse projection of the object that is blocking the light. And the author of Hebrews here in chapter number 10 kicks off this, this chapter by using this illustration or this idea, this concept of a shadow. Look at me in verse number one. For since the law has but a shadow... Of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, I come to you now acknowledging my need for you. I have no words, no wisdom no truth to offer apart from your word. So God, I pray that you would be faithful to use your word. I pray that as your word goes out, that it will not return void, but it will prosper in the very thing that you sent it to accomplish. We acknowledge this morning that we are here by your divine hand. There's no accident that we are in this sanctuary here at Liberty Hills Bible Church about to hear and receive the truth from Hebrews chapter number 10, verses 1 through 10. So Father, I pray once again, as we we look at the beauty of the gospel, we look at the glory of Christ, we consider the futility of the old covenant, and we look at the glory of the new covenant. and, And as we have an opportunity to crescendo right into the Lord's table and observing communion this morning, I pray, God, that you would be glorified in it all. I pray for the Christian here this morning whose heart is cold, who's struggling, discouraged, maybe burdened down by sin, who came proverbially stumbling into church this morning. I pray that you would encourage their heart, that they would find hope once again in the personal work of Jesus. And that we would celebrate that once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ Himself, that His blood has atoned for my sin. God, I pray for the unbeliever here this morning who does not know you as their Lord and personal Savior, who is trusting in a shadow, is trusting in religion, is trusting in their good works, is trusting in something else other than the true personal work of Jesus Christ, who has not placed their faith alone in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation. I pray that today they would see for the first time the gospel and they would recognize Jesus rightly as Savior and Lord. Use your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In this opening passage, Here in Hebrews 10, again, we see this shadow imagery introduced as our author once again lingers at this comparison. Yet one more chapter, this comparison of the old covenant versus the new covenant. If you remember with me, all the way back in chapter number seven, we we saw this comparison rise up and it has continued on through chapters eight and nine and into chapter number 10. And we saw the inferior, inferiority, excuse me, of this old Levitical system. Since then, our author has done what? He has worked to highlight in nuance after nuance with the same conclusion in mind that Jesus is better. Jesus stacked up against anything and everything. All the comparisons that have been made by our author of Hebrews, we have come to the conclusion, the resounding conclusion, no other conclusion than this, that Jesus is better. And once again, in chapter number 10, this theme carries on. So our text here this morning, again, is no different as we consider this new facet of comparison. I hope that we have not grown tired of these comparisons. I think it is helpful in our understanding and, and looking at this beautiful diamond of the gospel in Jesus, as each week we have a new comparison or a new nuance, we see these facets in new and different, beautiful ways. And so, chapter number 10, we have yet another opportunity to see the beauty of Christ and the glory of the gospel a shadow, a silhouette. A reverse projection of the object blocking the light. The shadow takes on the likeness and shape of the object blocking the light, but at the end of the day, the shadow is not the object itself. There are things missing in that two-dimensional shadow on the ground or the wall. It can never be the object itself, and it never gives us the full likeness of the object itself. So I love this beautiful analogy that the author uses here to draw us in to, once again, the beauty of the gospel. It is an outline, and it gives the appearance of the object, but if you want to know what the shadow is actually representing, we have to look at the object itself. So this is the exercise that the author of Hebrews here in chapter number 10 would have for us this morning. Yes, look at the shadow. Consider the nuances of the shadow, the role that it played in the redemptive history of mankind, but yet don't linger too long at this old covenant, at this shadow, but look forward to this, this object, this ultimately the person who is casting the shadow, Jesus Christ, the long awaited for Messiah. This is what Hebrews would have us to look at this morning in chapter number 10. So this brings us to our big idea this morning. What is the big idea of Hebrews chapter number 10 verses 1 through 10? The big idea is this, the shadow of the law. This old covenant, the shadow of the law, is looking forward to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, which is able to save and sanctify us once for all. The shadow of the law is looking forward to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, which is able to save and sanctify us once for all. So this morning we're going to examine two aspects of this Passage as it pertains to this comparison of the shadow and the real object itself, Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the first aspect of the shadow, and it's this, the inferiority of the shadow. The inferiority of the shadow. We're going to see this concept or this point unfold in the first four verses. Again, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, Instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. The law is but a shadow. It is in the likeness of the object. But the shadow can never function or even exist apart from the actual object. It is reflecting So the law, the old covenant, the Levitical priestly system, the earthly tabernacle, the day of atonement, the continual sacrifices of of bulls and goats, everything that we've unfolded over the last few chapters, it's all a shadow. It all can be summarized and understood as a simple shadow. And the shadow exists for one purpose and one purpose only, to point forward to the good and better things to come. The law was never, being, uh, was never presented to be an end in and of itself. It was all looking forward to the good and better things to come. So then, the author reminds us, his readers, that their hope and their faith was never intended to be placed in the shadow. These Hebrew Christians that that the author of Hebrews is writing to, they're struggling with, with letting go of the religiosity of Judaism. They're, they're struggling letting go to the value that has been placed in the system. And he's reminding them that the shadow was never an end in itself. Let it go. Look forward to the object itself. Remember Christ. Cling to Christ. Remember Christ. Look to this great and high priest who has replaced this earthly tabernacle, who has fulfilled the law and is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us right now in this moment, perfectly representing us before the Father in His righteousness. This is a beautiful hope that we have as believers in Christ. So our hope isn't to be placed in the shadow. Rather, our hope and faith are always meant to be placed in the true form of these realities. Why? Because, as the author has reminded us, Jesus is better. The object is better than the shadow. Verse number one summarizes, once again, what we have been unpacking in great detail over the past three chapters. Jesus is better than the law. Jesus is better than the old covenant. There are good and better things to come. So as we move on to the second half of the verse, I'd like to make two observations concerning this shadow this morning. First, the frequency of the sacrifices. That might sound familiar because it is. The author of Hebrews in chapters 9 And 10 have reminded us of the futility of the frequency of these continual sacrifices. Every year at the Day of Atonement, there was a continual need for the blood of animals, bulls, and goats to be offered to atone for the sins of Israel. This is the greatest and most obvious inadequacy of the law. These sacrifices, as defined by the law, were continually. Offered The efficacy of the sacrifice was limited and it was temporal in nature. The priests, as we have learned, were required to offer up sacrifices again and again. Why? Because Israel continued to sin again and again. As we also continue to sin again and again. You remember at the beginning of chapter number 9 as Pastor Dave unpacked that beautiful picture of the Old Covenant and, and unpacked this shadow that was looking forward to the good things yet to come. They were required to offer these sacrifices. Why? Because the requirement was holiness. The requirement was Perfection. To be in relationship with God, we must be holy as He is holy. So the requirement of holiness demanded a continual sacrifice in the midst of this old covenant, this first covenant. So then this frequency of sacrifices in the author's presentation should cause us to see and acknowledge the inferiority of the shadow, the law, and the old covenant. It is but a shadow the second aspect of this inferiority of the shadow is the failure of the sacrifices we've seen this idea that there was a continual there's a frequency of continual offering over and over again for the sins of israel but also the failure of the sacrifices is pointed out here in chapter number 10 our author first pointed to the frequency and now he points to the failure of the sacrifices Again, Pastor Dave reminding us of the holiness of God and Brother Dave Painter reminding us of the true work of God in the gospel and purifying our conscience from dead works to do what? To serve the living God. Verses 11 through 14, chapter number nine. Holiness has always been the requirement. It's always been the prerequisite that was needed in order to be in relationship and fellowship with a holy God. It's with that context then in mind that our author reminds us that the law alone could never make perfect. There's the requirement, holiness, perfection, the old covenant, the law, it can never make perfect those who draw near. He goes on in verse number two, Otherwise, but well, they have not ceased to be offered the sacrifices. Since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. This is somewhat of a tongue-in-cheek type of question here because the author of Hebrews knows that this was not the case. The blood of, of bulls and goats could never perfectly atone once for all for the sins of mankind. They were inadequate. Inferior, insufficient. We know from chapter number nine that only the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Himself could purify our conscience from dead works. Are you thankful for Jesus this morning? Are you thankful for the gospel? Are you thankful for the love and grace and mercy of the Father shown towards us through Jesus Christ? He didn't leave us in our sin. He made a way for us to be reconciled back to a holy God. This is the hope that we have all the way through the book of Hebrews. And friends, again, let us not grow tired of hearing the beauty of the gospel. Has the wonder and the majesty started to wear off? If so, Dive into Hebrews afresh and anew. Remind your heart by God's grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit how destitute we truly were in our sin and how much grace and mercy truly was shown towards us in Christ Jesus that he pursued us, that he provided a way, and he gave the means of faith and grace to become alive in our heart and our mind through the gift of Christ. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We have here in verses one through four a reminder of the requirement of God. We see in this verse here that the law can never make perfect. This comes from the Greek word teleo, which is also translated as to complete or to finish. This is what this word translated to make perfect means. To complete or to finish. Only the once for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ could complete or finish or make perfect. Verse number two, we see this word translated as cleansed. This comes from the Greek word katharizo which could also mean to purify. Then all the way down in our final verse, verse number 10, we see this word sanctified, which in the Greek is the word hagiadzo, which has the idea of causing someone to have the quality of holiness or literally to make holy. So between these three words... To make perfect, to cleanse, to sanctify, teleo, kathorizo, hagiazzo, to make perfect, purify, to make holy. This is the requirement. This is the requirement that God has. And friends, we can never even come close to cleansing in our own strength. We can never come close to making ourselves perfect or sanctifying ourselves. This is only a work of the Holy Spirit the grace of the gospel in our life. This is the requirement. The author is working diligently to to peel back the layers one by one and to build the case for these Hebrew Christians that the old covenant could never achieve this end. There is no hope in the shadow. So turn away from it and look at the object. Look at the person and work of Jesus. Look to a cross and see a Savior bleeding. Look to a tomb and see that it is empty, that He rose again on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, defeating sin, death, and hell. There is hope in the object, not the shadow. So then verse 4 remains, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The final conclusion of the inferiority of the shadow. So it's here in verse 5 that we see the author shift away from the inferiority of the shadow. And now he draws his readers in to focus on our second point, the superiority of the object. The superiority of the object. We see this in verses 5 through 10. Do you remember with me, the law is but a shadow of the good things to come. The shadow, again, is but a silhouette of an actual object. And in our case, as a, As the author has laid this out, the law is the shadow and the actual object is whom? Jesus. It's the gospel. And it's right here in verse number 5 through 10 that we see yet through another comparison that we see that Jesus is better. The author establishes this reality by looking back to an Old Testament psalm. Psalms have been really a focal point in the hermeneutic and the presentation of this letter of Hebrews. The author has often gone back to the psalms to point to Jesus, to establish different nuances of the gospel. So he looks back to the psalm and before we dive into that, there's this, in, this important introductory phrase in verse number 5. Consequently. This has the idea of because. Because there is an inferiority in the shadow. Because, what? The blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world. This phrase could easily be overlooked, could it not? And jumping right down into the the quotation of, of Psalm number 40: consequently, when Christ came into the world, this is an important reminder of the severe requirement of a holy God that demanded a perfect sacrifice. And that perfect sacrifice could only come from God and by means of His only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. God the Father provided the means by which sinful mankind can be made right in their relationship with God, to be reconciled and restored back into covenant relationship with the Father. It was through Jesus Christ So consequently, when Christ came into the world, this is divine intervention to the history of mankind. The redemptive plan climaxing right here as Jesus takes on flesh, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus left heaven. He took on flesh, was born of a virgin Mary, and he was now in the likeness of man. Friends, this is not a mere footnote. In the personal work of Jesus, this was intentional and it was needed. Do You remember Hebrews chapter number two? I know we've covered a bit since then. Hebrews chapter number two speaks to the importance of Jesus taking on flesh and in the incarnation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In verses 14 through 18, I'll read, "...since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery." Verse 16, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Are you thankful Jesus Christ is able this morning? Are you thankful that he took on flesh and was made in the likeness of men? Are you thankful for the obedience of a son to a father who came on a mission to seek and to save the lost? Reminder, that's you and me. Are you thankful for that? So Jesus took on flesh. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he took on flesh so he could do what the law could never accomplish. And in turn, he, meaning Jesus, calls us his brothers. There in Hebrews chapter number two, a friend of sinners. So with that introductory statement in mind, our author goes on to reference, to quote, The Septuagint translation of Psalm number 40. As we look at the whole of Scripture, Psalm 40 is just one of several passages that instruct our understanding of what God actually desires from His people in terms of worship and relationship. The author of Hebrews specifically quotes verses 6 through 8 in Psalm 40, which read, interpretive nuances from the Septuagint translation of Psalm 40 versus the classic Hebrew translation of the Old Testament. Namely, uh, we, we see in that uh, verse, um, in the first verse there, you have given me an open ear. Here in Hebrews 10 here, uh, it's translated from the Septuagint, body. Right, So, we see this slight nuance between ear and body. Um, there's different interpretive challenges there. Ultimately, it does not change the, the thrust of the text and the main point. And so, again, we won't linger at some of those nuances. But ultimately, this theme of the body of Christ, the sacrifice of Christ, plays on throughout Hebrews chapter number 10. And so, there's, there's thoughts there that, um, that maybe uh, the author of Hebrews would have inserted that as a way to connect the body and sacrifice of Jesus in referencing uh, Psalm number 40. Regardless, we see that Jesus, or excuse me, God the Father does not delight in the sacrifices of bulls and burnt offerings, but rather, what does he delight in? Delights in the obedience of the Son. I delight to do your will. O oh my God, your law is within my heart. We're reminded again in the psalm that the Lord does not delight in some things and he delights in others. Sacrifices, slaughters of animals. God the Father has no interest. Or rather, God the Father delights in obedience to his word. He delights in obedience to his will. The author of Hebrews understands this as a true measure of worship. And he is working diligently in this section to ensure his readers have a clear understanding of this reality. What does it look like to worship the Lord? He desires us to know his word to obey his word, and to walk in obedience to his word. Just as we have the example of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So then the warnings against valuing religiosity or ritual over a genuine relationship with Christ should ring true in our heart and our mind and in our ears this morning. These warnings counter the assumption that annual sa- excuse me animal sacrifices will appease God's righteous wrath regardless of the condition of the worshiper's heart. It's here that we see the author of Hebrews bring this quotation of Psalm 40 into a broader context though. It's not just about what the Lord takes pleasure in and what he does not take pleasure in but rather there is a broader context of God's redemptive plan that the author of Hebrews is leveraging Psalm 40 to bring our attention to. We've seen this unfold over and over in the past few chapters, and it's right here. It reminds us of God's redemption. It's officially moved from this inferior shadow, this ineffectual sacrificial system it's moved now to fully embracing the superiority of this final sacrifice offered by christ in obedience to the father so verse number eight then becomes his summary of the quotation from psalm 40 and he highlights these four different descriptions of these sacrifices look at me at verse number eight you have neither desired nor taking pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are all offered, what, in accordance with the law. The verbs that are attached at the beginning of verse number eight expose the value and perspective that God has towards these sacrifices of bulls and goats on this old sacrificial system. They're neither desired by God, nor is their pleasure taken in them by God. In contrast, verse 9 then becomes the summary statement from the author of what exactly does please the Lord. Look at me at verse number 9. Then he added, Behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Jesus' obedience to the will of the Father is what ultimately closes out this first covenant and establishes the new covenant. It is the obedience of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What an example we have in the gospel. So our author brings this all together with yet another summary verse. Look at me at verse number 10, our final verse this morning. by that excuse me and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all by that we have been sanctified. We could linger at this reality and just read it over and over again and thank God that Jesus Christ through his sacrifice is able to sanctify. Do you remember this word sanctified from earlier in the message? Hagiazzo to make perfect, to purify, to make holy? This is the requirement to be in relationship with the Holy God. And Jesus, through his once-for-all sacrifice, has completed this work. Friends, in Christ, his righteousness is imputed or credited on our behalf. When he represents us before the Father, he comes by means of his own blood. And he said, it is my blood applied to his account and the righteousness of God through the work of the gospel is is credited to me and to you for all those who place their faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. This is the superiority of the object. This is a work that the shadow could never do. But was continual sacrifice After sacrifice over and over is now made singular. As we have seen chapter after chapter, Jesus alone, his once for all sacrifice with better promises and a better covenant through a better sacrifice, Jesus is better. It is finished. No more work I owe. This morning we looked at the inferiority of the shadow and the superiority of the object. I wonder this morning, friends, I wonder this morning if you are trusting in a shadow of sorts. I know this morning, and I'm certain that you're not trusting in the sacrifice of animals to atone for your sins, as our original readers may have been tempted to do, to still trust in an old covenant, a Levitical system. There are many other shadows in our day that we could be looking to, such as good works, sense of moral aptitude, religion in itself, or a host of other things that prop us up before the Lord, that we present before the Lord and say, look at me. Look at my righteousness. Friends, there is no such thing as my righteousness, because all of our righteousness in the eyes of God are as filthy rags we come before God with anything less than the perfect once and for all sacrifice of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, His Son, that He ordained before the foundation of the world to be that sacrifice, if we come before God the Father with anything less than Jesus, we're still in our sin. This morning, let us remember the requirement is still holiness. Holiness. Just as we looked at all the nuances of the tabernacle and the, the, the most holies and all the processes and nuances that the high priest would go through to first sacrifice a bull on his own behalf of his own sin so that he could then represent Israel before a holy God. The requirement is still holiness. Let us remember this morning that the Lord does not delight in or find pleasure in anything other than the perfect obedience and sacrifice of His Son at the cross of Calvary. So friends, what are you trusting in this morning? Is it a shadow or is it the object? Are you thankful this morning that we weren't left with the shadow, but rather there were good and better things to come through the personal work of Jesus Christ. The big idea of our text again this morning as we close was the shadow of the law is looking forward to the perfect sacrifice of Jesus, which is able to save and to sanctify us once for all. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, we thank you that the shadow was looking forward to good and better things to come. I thank you in our day and our time as a church that we have your your finished canon of Scripture. We know the beginning from the end and everything in between. It all is looking forward to or pointing back to Jesus. I thank you for your perfect redemptive plan that is still at work even in our day. You are drawing men and women and young people to yourself. Your Holy Spirit is still at work. Your redemptive plan is still in motion. You're still building your church. So God, even through this text of Hebrews 10, we're reminded of the importance of faith. We're reminded of the importance of having a right object of our faith. So I pray that if there's somebody here this morning who does not know Jesus, the only one who can save, if somebody does not know Jesus as their Lord and personal Savior, Father, I pray today that they would seek out myself or another pastor, elder, or uh, another friend or um, somebody that came with this morning, I pray that they would know you, Jesus. God, I pray that even for the Christian, as we go about our days and our weeks, I pray that the gospel would never go dim on our hearts and our minds. But the same gospel that saves is the same gospel that sanctifies, that make us more like Jesus, the one who has saved us. And I pray that we would be passionate in our pursuit of Jesus even after salvation. And that as we engage within the body of Christ, your plan to be saved, baptized, and added to the church. As we are added to the church in covenant membership, and we seek to live out Christ's likeness within the context of the local church. Father, I pray that the church would be built up in love so that you would be glorified in our community and others would know the truth of the gospel. Father, I pray as we transition into this time of communion, again, I pray that you would be glorified and our church would be more unified as a result of this fellowship around the table, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.